0: We are coming to the end of one of the most amazing and really personal sections in the book where the Apostle Paul takes the gospel and the impact that the gospel makes, and he brings it to bear deeply on the relationships in our life. And he does it in a section that theologians have identified as the household codes And we don't talk that way when we read our Bible or as we're kind of reading through books of our Bible. We don't sort of take little sections of the Bible and assign names to them. But this is a very common way that theologians have referred to this little section that we've been looking at beginning in chapter 5, verse 22, and going all the way to the end of chapter 6, verse 9, where we are today. And the name is fitting. It is is how the gospel should shape the way that we live in our homes. And so the Apostle Paul is reminding us that the gospel makes a difference. And it should make a difference in the very basic areas of our life. It should should make a difference in our marriage. The, The gospel that we have embraced should shape our relationship as a husband and wife. It should shape the way we do family life together. It should shape deeply the relationship that... Children have to parents, and it should shape deeply the relationship that fathers have to their sons and daughters as they raise them in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And at the very end of this section, the Apostle Paul comes to bear on a part of the Roman household that we would not normally be aware of, because in our day, we have a very different idea of what a household looks like. A household in the Western world, and particularly in the world and culture in which we live as a husband and wife, and uh, one or two children, or three or four children, a minivan, and a dog, and maybe a cat. And that's it. You would not think of a household in our world today as an extended family business, and that's precisely what would be going on in the households in which... Uh, these Christians in the city of Ephesus were living. And so Paul is now going to bring to bear the gospel on this area of a Greek and Roman household. And the area that he's going to talk about is how should the gospel shape the way that you carry out the work that God has assigned you to do. We don't have typically household businesses like this, although some do, but all of us are going to find that what Paul says in terms of how the gospel ought to shape the way we serve those that employ us and the way we lead those that we have employed are going to have incredibly powerful impact on the way we live as men and women today in our own day and age. So with that in mind, I want us to look at five things that this passage is going to lay out for us that will help us to receive and embrace what Paul has in mind when he talks about the gospel shaping the way that we work. I've called the message this morning, working for the gospel's sake. Working for the gospel's sake. And maybe the best way to introduce this is to tell you a little story that happened to me this weekend. When uh, when Beth and I moved back Um, one of the things that God did for us is He allowed us, in in a very unusual way, outside of anything we expected, to be able to buy a house. Now, if you're trying to buy a house in this particular time frame, uh, you know what I'm talking about. If you're not in the market for a house, this is just an illustration. But it is a very stressful time to try to find a house we were literally, we would see a, a house that would pop up on realtor.com or, or Zillow. And by the time we got in our car and went to that house, it had already been sold. And that happened time and time and time again. And so what God did for us was absolutely his graciousness. But we ended up in a little home about 8 miles from here it's 11 minutes away so it's less less than eight miles actually it's 11 minutes away and when we came to the home we decided that we wanted to do some work to make the house a little more workable for our family and for the entertainment that we want to do uh, with with you as a church family and so we hired a contractor we hired a good contractor and so that contractor has been working away in our home. And, uh, and one day I came home, and in the front yard of our home was a sign that had this company's name on it. And it was plunked right down in, uh, in my yard. And I thought, that's interesting. And I didn't think any more about the sign. It's been there for a week or two, and uh, it gets moved around. Sometimes it's in the middle of the yard. Sometimes it's by the, by the mailbox. Sometimes it's at the end of the driveway. So it's just sort of moved around. And I never really saw the impact of that sign until yesterday. This contractor was at my house yesterday, and we had done some work in the kitchen, and uh, we had... Um, he had come in, his crews had come in and, and really done a great job with that. And then uh, Beth said, you know, I really would like to get different outlet covers. You know what I'm talking about? You got the little, so we went to Home Depot and we went to Lowe's and we went to back to Home Depot and we went back to Lowe's. And we finally found the light covers that passed the test. And so it fell to me to install them. Now, how hard can that be? Have you ever done that? Have you ever, you just, you're unscrewing the wall plate, and you screw it back in, and you're done, right? And I was so proud of myself. I came home I, uh, from, from a meeting that I was at. I put those wall plates up, and I looked back, and I thought, these are awesome. Beth is going to be so pleased. And I came home, and or she came home, and, and I brought her in, and she was pleased. It was great. I thought, man, this is awesome. I am so excited about this. And I got like big points in the husband bank, right? Uh, so, so yesterday I get this contractor and he says, uh, hey, can you come here? I'm like, yeah. He goes, uh, you see these outlet covers? I'm like, yeah. I'm, I'm waiting for like, good job. He goes, I need you to do something for me. I need you to find a screwdriver. Okay, so I went and got the screwdriver, the right kind. And he said, you see the little screws? The, the notches in the screws all need to be in the same direction. They're all like just willy-nilly. You're like, they're, one's here and one's there. And he said, my sign is in your yard. That was the implication. This reflects on me. I want you to make all the screws the same. So You know what I did? I like my contractor a lot. I made all the screws the same. You know, folks, you say, that's a really dumb (laughs) illustration. It kind of is because I just thought of it on the fly, (laughs) which is pretty (laughs) dangerous. You have a sign on your life. You and I have a sign on our life. And the sign tells the world who we belong to we are in essence a building that god is building and there is a sign on our life and the sign tells the world who is building our life and who is building our life is christ we belong to him and through the spirit of god and through the word of god jesus is building our life and he cares about how we build if an earthly contractor cares enough about the way a screw is put in, do you think the Lord cares about how we carry out the way He is building our life? It was a very powerful illustration for me, and it fits well with the passage. So as we build our lives, and as we build those lives in the places where God has placed us, and as we represent the one who is building us, how do we go about in the, in the arena of life where God has called us to make our living? How do we go about doing that? And so Paul has five things to say to us about that. And the first thing is this, it, it, we live in a fallen world and we must acknowledge that. We live in a fallen world and in that world we must accept the place where God has appointed us to serve. We must accept a place where God has called us to serve. Now, let me show you this in the text. And, and it's laid out for us in a reality that the Scripture addressed through the Apostle Paul for the original readers and hearers of this portion of Scripture. Paul said this, bondservants, bondservants, the term that Paul used when he originally wrote this Is a jarring term. It's actually a very uncomfortable term. It's a difficult term. It's the word slave. When you came to the city of Ephesus, it was located in the world of Paul's day in the Roman Empire. And in that empire, two thirds of the people who lived within the borders of that empire were slaves. Some 60 million people were slaves. Roman society was run it functioned on the work that was done by slaves and bond servants and then a category of people called freedmen. Almost every industry, agriculture, business, education, medicine, government administration, the production of goods and services depended heavily on the work of the group of people that Paul was addressing when he says bond servants. So how do we deal with this? Because Paul is actually addressing people who were in that category and they were Christians. We know of at least three in the New Testament. Onesimus, and then there are two brothers that Paul references at the end of Romans. Tertius and Corsius were names that were commonly assigned to slaves in a Roman household who occupied high positions of authority. In the first place, Primus, in the second place, Segundus, in the third place, Tertius, and in the fourth place, Quartius. And so as you look at these names in your Bible, they're oftentimes referring to bond servants that occupied high positions of authority and responsibility in a Roman or Greek home. How are you and I to respond to this, especially given our own sad history of slavery, our abhorrent history of slavery in the 17th and 18th century. What are we supposed to do with a term like this in our Bible? And so let me give you some thoughts about that as we listen in to the Apostle Paul. One of the things I think is very important to us as we come to our scriptures, we can't bring our world immediately to that. We need to make sure we understand the world in which we Paul was living. And so there is a context and a distinctive to the kind of slavery that Paul is talking about in the New Testament. When Paul said bond servants in, in Ephesians 6, uh, 5, he is talking to a group of people who were living in contexts that were very distinct and different from the ones that slaves existed in in the 17th and 18th century in the Western world. For example... Ethnicity and skin color did not play a part in what Paul is talking about. Ethnicity and skill, skin color did not play a part. When you talked about bond servants or slaves in the Roman Empire, how did a person enter into that? And to be sure, there were captives of war that were captured, And brought into slavery. And we're going to find out in just a moment that Paul abhors that. And the New Testament actually speaks to that. But a great many of the people who were in this category had come in for various reasons. Some of them had come in because they were orphans. They had been abandoned. And a Roman household took them in as a servant in this way. Many of them were looking for stability. It was not uncommon for a Roman or a Greek slave to get their freedom before the age of 30. So this was a pathway to freedom. Some of them received modest wages or were given gifts of money that could be used toward uh, redemption for, uh, for their freedom. Many of them worked in highly specialized and respected positions with great responsibility, doctors and teachers and administrators of household businesses, Managers over others, tutors who were in charge of educating the Roman nobility. Some became trusted counselors who had great weight and great sway with their masters. Some of them became famous philosophers and educators and had some even had their own schools. Many people chose this because it was the pathway to avail themselves of specialized training that would make them more usable and more valuable once they gained their freedom. And many found this uh, bond service to be the pathway to obtain coveted full Roman citizenship. Because if you had been a bond servant or a slave in a Roman house to a Roman citizen, when you became free, you had the right to become a Roman citizen, something that was highly coveted in Paul's day. So when you read about slavery in the Bible, you need to make sure you are thinking about that and not the abhorrent thing that took place in our own uh, recent history in the 17th and 18th century. The Bible has a response to all of this. Scripture reports slavery, and so it's not a new concept. It is the unfortunate, deplorable consequence of the fall. Scripture reports it. It never condones it, Just as Scripture does not condone divorce, it reports it. Just as it doesn't condone the multiple wives that certain kings in the Old Testament had, or even that Abraham had, it reports it without condoning it. And what you find in the Old Testament, particularly in the Torah of God, there were actual statements that God made to His people with regard to their bondservants that actually mitigated and regulated that particular arena of fallen society which made it far and away different from even the slavery of the other nations around them. And then when you come to the New Testament, in Paul's particular perspective, he actually adds some things. Again, he never condones or justifies it. When he tells servants to obey their masters, he never grounds that obedience on ownership. He never makes the case that you are the property of somebody else, therefore, you need, he never grounds his instruction to the bondservants he writes to on that particular way of thinking. In fact, in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 10, he clearly articulates God's abhorrence to people who go out and capture other people so that they can sell them into slavery. He, he absolutely prohibits that, and he speaks clearly about God's abhorrence of that. And so in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 23, Paul says to Christians, as he advises them, he tells them two things. Number one, do not do what a lot of other people around you are doing to get ahead in life. I know you would like Roman citizenship. I know that this is a pathway perhaps to a better position. This is but don't sell yourself into bond service. Don't become an indentured service or servant if you can help it. And that's in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 23. But what do you do if you're a Christian and you are already in that service? What do you do then? And Paul says to these people, let everyone remain in the condition when he was called. That's the idea of being saved. Let everybody remain in the condition where he was called. Were you a slave? Were you a bondservant when you were called? Do not be concerned about it. Then he says this, but if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of that opportunity. And then he gives the reason. For he who was called in the Lord as a bondservant is a freedman of the Lord. Likewise, he who was free when he was called is a bondservant of Christ. You were bought with a price do not become bondservants of men. And so what Paul says when he comes to a text like this and he talks to bondservants is he is saying this, when you became a Christian, you occupied a place in life. You occupied a station. You had a vocation. And God wants to use that place and that space for the gospel. He wants to use you in that place and in that space for the gospel. And that's why I took time this morning in a congregation like ours to make sure we understand the immense difference between what Paul was talking about in the first century and the abhorrent thing that happened in the 17th and 18th century, which we should all repudiate, which we should absolutely argue against, And if we participated or defended that in our own personal lives, we need to repent of that. It's a very different picture that God is painting in the first century. So, how do I use the position or the place that God has given me When I was called, whether it is a low place or a high place, how do I use that place? And Paul's answer to that is the second big idea that he wants us to think about. He says this, we must embrace God's purpose for us regardless of the space or the place we occupy. You may find yourself today in the role of an employee. You may be a first-year employee. You may be an entry-level employee. Some of you may be managers. Some of you may be employers. Some of you may own businesses where you employ others. Some of you may be preparing. You may be at the stage in your life where you are preparing for the vocation that God has called you to and is making you aware of. All of us occupy a place and a space And the question is, how do I embrace that place and how do I occupy that space so that I accomplish God's purpose for me? And Paul says this, he says in Titus, you do it this way, you adorn the doctrine of God in all things. Peter says it this way, you maintain excellent behavior at all times. You maintain excellent behavior at all times. And you adorn the doctrine of God in all things. You take your space and your place. And you come to the Lord and you say to the Lord, while I am in this place and I occupy this space, I want to adorn the truth about you with my life. And the way I'm going to do that, Lord, is by maintaining excellent behavior at all times. Listen to how Peter said what he said in 1 Peter chapter 2, beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. And then he says this, keep your conduct among the Gentiles, that's the nations. These are people who don't know God. Keep your conduct among those who don't know God honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they will see your good deeds and they will glorify God when he visits. When God chooses to work in such a way in their life that they cannot deny that God is at work, they will remember what they have seen in your life and they will honor him. How do I gospelize the place and space of my appointment? And Peter says you do it this way, by maintaining excellent behavior. And the idea there is moral and ethical behavior that is shaped by the gospel. That you maintain a quality of life and work that is moral and ethical with your employer and with others, and that is how you adorn, that is how you clothe the gospel, the truth about God in all things. You could say it this way, wherever you are, for however you are there, however long you are there, wherever you are or however long you are there, your big mission is to use that place and that space to tell the truth about God to represent God accurately and attractively to people who desperately need to know the truth about who He is and what He is like. And so Paul says to bondservants, you must use your place for the purposes that God has given. And that is that you would glorify Him in such a way, that you would live in such a way that everybody who sees you everybody who works with you, everybody who encounters you will discover the truth about who God is and what God is like. And so that brings the big question this morning, and that is this, how in the world do I do that? I mean, how do I do that as a bondservant? How do I do that as a master? How do I live in such a way? Where am I going to get the the information. I mean, how am I going to figure it out? And Paul says, I'm I'm going to write it down for you. The Holy Spirit is going to give you enlightenment, and then he's going to give you enablement. So if I'm supposed to use my space and my place for the gospel's sake, so that as I do life, as I live out life and I, and, I, and I fill out my vocational obligations to my employer or to my employees in a way that represents God accurately and attractively, where am I going to go to find out how to do that? Is there a particular pathway? And Paul says, I'm going to tell you specifically how to do that. And so that's what we see in the third little segment here. And that is this, we must adopt God's practices. God is actually going to tell us how to do this. And so he's going to start, and he's going to go from verse, uh, verse 5 all the way down to verse 8, and he is going to talk to servants. He's going to talk to the majority of us. He's going to say, when your space and your place is that you render vocational obligation to another, here is how you do it for the gospel's sake here is how you work in a way that will actually advance the gospel. And so he's going to give them five ways to do this. And I'll give them to you very simply. He says to servants, when you render your work to those who have employed you or those who are over you, do it obediently and respectfully. Do it obediently and respectfully. If you have a boss, if you work for someone, then your first and primary obligation is to do whatever it is he is asking you to do, unless what he is asking you to do violates something that God has asked you to do. Remember, in every one of these relationships, when God talked to wives... And when God talked to children, and now when God talks to servants, He says to them, the primary thing that is going to advance the gospel is your obedience to the authority I have placed over you for this time and in this place. But you can't render obedience in a way that actually gives disobedience to something I have asked you to do or something I told you to do not to do. So I just want to make sure that when we hear Paul say, obey your earthly masters, he's also reminding us that we have a heavenly master that we have to obey even above our earthly master, okay? So when we render that obedience to our earthly master, how do we do that? And he says, you do it respectfully. You do it with fear and trembling, He's not talking about terror. He's not talking about, boy, I'm afraid if I I say the wrong thing or do the wrong thing. That's not the idea here. This is the idea of deep respect. This phrase occurs in Psalm chapter 2, 11, when we are told that we are to come before Yahweh, we're to come before God with fear and trembling. And it is a joyful fear and trembling. The idea is reverence in that text and then in philippians chapter 2 verse 12 we are to work out we are to display our salvation what god has done and is doing in us with deep reverence and respect and so paul says look if you want to make a difference as an employee when you render your obedience to the boss god put over you nobody is shocked that paul would say okay servants obey that's that's not news What's news is how. When you render that obedience, do it in a way that consistently displays your reverence, your appropriate respect for that person that God has placed over you. And then number two, do it wholeheartedly. Do it wholeheartedly. The idea here is with a sincere heart like you would Christ. When you come and you render that obedience in that place and in that space, don't just do it respectfully, but come with your whole heart. Come with a single mind. Don't be half-hearted about your work. Don't pretend to work. Don't, don't just talk about work. Come and give your whole heart to what you are doing. Hence my illustration about the little screws. That's an example of wholeheartedness in our work. Don't be content just to do enough to get by, but come with a genuine sincerity that that you are going to render the kind of wholehearted service to your master that you would render Christ. This is what David was talking about in 1 Chronicles chapter 29 when he talked about his own service to the Lord. He said, I know, Lord, that you are the one who examines hearts and you love righteousness. And then he says this, in simplicity of heart, in other words, with, with a full heart, with an undivided heart, I have shown zeal in all of my work to you. So we, we do this respectfully, we, we do this wholeheartedly, but thirdly, we do this conscientiously we make an immense impact for the gospel simply by being conscientious. Paul says it this way, when you render this kind of servants service, not by way of eye service, don't do it by way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ. What in the world is he talking about when he uses the word eye service? He's talking about this, He's talking about the kind of work that was common that many bondservants would render in their day. And they would only do it when the master came. Hey, the master is coming. We have got to, we've got to get up to speed. We've got to work hard because his eye is watching. Or you might do it this way. He's never going to see this. He's never going to look here. He's never going to check way back here. And so we're just going to work and make sure that what his eye sees is good. And then we're going to do just as little as we can on the parts where his eye will never look. And Paul says that is not how you should render your service to your master if you want your place and your space to make a difference for the gospel don't render it as mere eye service to a human eye who may or may not see or when that eye is seeing, you render it as you would render it to the God who always sees. And then in verse six, he says, do it from doing the will of God from your heart. You render this obedience to your earthly master because it's what your heavenly master has asked you to do. And therefore, when you render it to your earthly master, you do it cheerfully and willingly. And the idea there is that this is not something that your earthly boss should constantly have to be forcing out of you. You know, if you know that your earthly master wants you to do something in a certain way, even though it may not be what you would choose to do, or it may not make a lot of sense to you, here's Paul's advice. If you really want your place and space to have gospel impact, then do this willingly don't don't do it in a way that your your employer is going oh man every time i ask that employee to do something it's an argument i'm going to have i'm going to have a discussion about it i'm going to have a debate about it and you know what fine whatever they want i'm just you know it's not even worth the conversation sure whatever and, and Paul says, now look, that's the kind of work that if you render is going to actually hurt the reason you're in that place and space. You're not in that place and space just to get a paycheck. You're not in that place and space just to earn money. You're in that place and space because I allotted you for this time to be in that place and space. He's not telling you that you can never change jobs. He's just acknowledging to you that in this place and space, God has given you this opportunity at this moment so that you have gospel opportunity and gospel responsibility to work in such a way that your employer is not put off when he thinks about you and finds out you're a Christian. I mean, if for the entire time you work for somebody And that person has to constantly grit their teeth because you don't do what they ask you to do, or or if you do what they ask you to do, it's always grudgingly, there's always a reason, there's always a better way, you've always got something to say, when you actually start talking about the gospel, what do you think is going to happen in that employer's heart? And so Paul is elevating your role way beyond your immediate place and space. And that really comes to bear in the next thing he says, do it with good will. Look at verse 7, rendering service with good will as to the Lord and not to man. Now, can I just stop here for a minute and recognize that this is an incredibly difficult thing that Paul is asking of us? This is hard. In Paul's day, if you worked in a Roman household and you were a bondservant, many of you had cruel masters. You would have had cruel masters. In fact, Peter talks about the fact that some of those masters would beat their slaves. Paul is going to talk to masters really directly here, and he's going to say, stop doing something. Stop threatening your servants there would be many, many occasions throughout the life of your service to that master where you would find occasions for hurt, for slights, for for somebody taking credit, for, for you being overlooked. And there would be plenty of opportunity for you to develop a sort of resentment against your master and do your work out of that sort of resentment. I'm going to do my work and you know what? If, if it goes well, it goes well. If it doesn't, great. It's what he deserves for the way he treats us. And Paul says, now, wait a minute. If you want to take gospel-shaped service to the next level, you have to render that service to that kind of a master out of goodwill. And the only way you can do that is when you stop seeing your service as merely service to that master who's been harsh with you and you see it as your service to who? Do you see that in verse 7? Rendering service with a good will, as to who? The Lord. That's the peace that Paul brings to the table. And Paul says this now, you, you know something, you know something. This is an accounting term. You can can count on this. You can take this to the bank. You know that whatever good you do, you will receive back from the Lord. The idea here is that the Lord knows and he sees. So he says to servants, look, if you want to have gospel-shaped influence in your space and place, here's how you render your obedience to your master. And then he talks to the masters, and he said, now, if you want to have gospel-shaped influence in your place and space, then here is how you use your power and your authority over those that you lead. And the idea is that you serve them. He says this, you lead them and you serve them respectfully. Look at verse 9. Masters, do the same thing to them. What? What? thing am i supposed to do to them you are supposed to treat them with the same things that god told them to use when they treat you you treat them respectfully you rule over them you administrate you serve them with the same heart and the same attitude that god expects of them and has asked them to do for you and then he says this you you do so reasonably you use reason and you don't use threats this would have been stunning. This would have been stunning in the first century. I mean, every household that had bond servants had somebody in that household who was in charge of disciplining. Sometimes it would be the master, but it would often be somebody that worked very closely with the master and he would use threats to get everybody in that house to line up. And Paul said to Christian masters, that should have no place in your life that should have no place in how you lead and serve those that are in the place and space. I put them in as your bond servants. Treat them as your master in heaven treats you. And then he says to the masters, now you treat them with respect and you give up the harsh treatment and the threatenings because you know something. Remember he said to the slaves, you do this because you know something that you can take to the bank? You know that Whatever good you do, God will reward you in kind. He has a different thing to say to the masters. He said, there's something that I want you to know that you can take to the bank. And here's what you need to know, that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven. There is an authority over both of you. And when you stand before him, and when he looks at you, all of your rank goes away. When your bondservant and you stand before the Lord, you stand as equals. It's interesting, isn't it? When the Apostle Paul spoke to Philemon about Onesimus, he calls Onesimus a dear brother. And he says to Philemon, Philemon, I want you to treat Onesimus just like you would treat me. That's stunning in the first century. And you know that's a good reminder to every one of us who at some point or another in our life will have people that we employ or that we lead. And and Paul would say to you as you lead them, as you administrate them, as you serve them, as, as you are over them, remember something that when God looks down and he sees you and he sees them, you are equals. Galatians says there is is no difference. There's neither male nor female. There's neither bond nor free. We are equal in the sight of God. And And then Paul says this. Now, you need to know something about that. God does not show partiality. You know, the word partiality is an interesting word. It means to recognize face. It means the recognized face. It's, it's what happens when somebody's driving down the highway and they get pulled over by a cop and, and the window goes down and the cop realizes he just pulled over the mayor. He recognized face. And it's like, oh, um, well, have a good day, sir. That wouldn't have happened if he pulled you over. That's partiality. And can I just say this? Our world is full of it. We, 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 we are prone to this. And Paul is saying to each of us in our respective roles, whether we serve others or we lead others or we're servants or masters, Paul is saying, you need to know something, that that is a temporary thing. You occupy that space and you occupy that place because I put you there and, and it's temporary with, with God. There is no partiality. And that brings us then to the fourth thing. Well, what am I supposed to do with this knowledge? And Paul says, labor for God's priorities. Labor for God's priorities. What are God's priorities? Well, we looked at it in 1 Peter chapter 2, where Paul says, they will glorify God when they see your good deeds. God says, look, I put you in that place and I put you in that space. And here's what I'm really up to. You're up to some other things. You, you need a paycheck. This is the next step in your career. This is, this is going to be how you feed your family or what. But I've got a much bigger thing I'm doing. I am wanting you in that space and place for this time because as you live the gospel out in that place and space, there's going to come a time when somebody around you or somebody above you is going to be visited by me and they're going to see your good works and they're going to remember and they're going to glorify me. That's my priority. And they will turn to the shepherd and let him become the overseer of their soul. That's what Peter talked about in chapter 2 verse 25 when he said, even the Son of God came And he left you an example, and he suffered unjustly, and he did this so that you would become sheep of a shepherd. It's a stunning passage. And I would say it this way. Maybe we could, as we close our time together this morning, we could just think about this. God intends to use our work for the gospel's sake. God intends to use our work for the gospel's sake. And when you work for the gospel's sake, it really changes everything. The space and the place that looks so difficult to you, the place and the space that looks so humble to you, the place and the space that look like there's no future here. When you realize, okay, God, you put me in this space and you put me in this place and you put me here for now, why did you do that? What is it that you're trying to do in this space? Maybe you are, uh, maybe you're uh, in grad school, or maybe you're an intern and you're in a space and place, or or maybe you are uh, in your first job. Maybe you're an accountant. Maybe you're a lawyer. Maybe you're a teacher. Maybe what you you signed up for, you are discovering. You know what? This is really hard. It isn't what I thought it would be. It isn't at all what I expected and I'm frustrated and I'm, it's not going the way I wanted it to go. My boss isn't the way I thought he would be or she would be. And, and, and the workers that I hired that I thought were just, they just it's just not what I thought. God says, well, wait a minute. As you labor in that space and place, until I move you from that space and place, there is a gospel thing I'm doing. And what will help you is resting in god's promises and that's the final thing that that we see here knowing that whatever good anyone does he will receive the same from the lord whether he is a servant or he is free in other words we could say it this way this finds favor with god and this will be rewarded abundantly by god you know folks this doesn't make a lot of sense if your goal is to get ahead in life this doesn't make a ton of sense. Man, why are you in that job? Well, this is the entry level to this and this and the next thing. And then I go up here and the next, you know, it's the next way to the next salary level. And, uh, and that's my goal. <clears throat> and, and sooner or later, you're going to hit a wall and it's going to be hard. And it's going to be tough. And all of us have been there. I mean, any one of us uh, I mean, look around, some of you are at the front end of your career, but there are a few of you that are in your mid or, or toward the end of your career, and you can, give, uh, you can give testimony to this. It doesn't always go the way you thought it would go, or how you thought it would be. And there's something that happens to a Christian. It's like, God. I did everything you told me to do. <clears throat> I've been to church, I've been reading my Bible. I've been praying, and it's still, it's still not, you know, our, you almost can feel, I want to say this carefully, you can almost feel like God sold you a little bill of goods. Maybe you, maybe you misunderstood it, or maybe somebody said it, but, but it's not what, somehow it doesn't feel right, and God says to you, you know, wait a minute, I am doing something much bigger than your paycheck. I already told you that I would supply everything you need. I already told you that that I would meet all of your needs according to my riches and glory. I've told you all of that. I have got something much bigger that I'm doing. What if, what if you had a situation in which you were employee, you were the employee, and your supervisor had an employee that was a joy and a delight every time he or she turned around they, they found in you a delight. I, you know, you are always so kind. You are always so conscientious. I've ne- I just can't believe, I mean, you went over and beyond. I can't believe you did it like this. This is amazing. And when your supervisor has a bad day, you, you just, you don't come with like spiritual platitudes. You're like, you know, I know it's been a rough day. I just want you to know I appreciate you. I'm thinking about you. You remember their birthday. You, you acknowledge the events, the, the private events of their life where it's appropriate and if it's appropriate. And all of a sudden, your supervisor is going, There's something different about you because none of the other employees that work for me do this. And sooner or later, they're going to find out something about you. You're a Christian. And sooner or later, there's going to be a need in their life. And they're going to come to you and say, can I talk to you after work? Can I talk to you after when when we clock out here? And you're going to meet them in the parking lot. And they're going to say to you, you know, I just got some really bad news. My sister, who I'm really close to, lives in another state and just found out she has cancer. And we're not church-going people. And I'm not really much of a prayer. But I know that you are a Christian. Would you pray for me? Would you pray for my sister? And all of a sudden, you just found out why. You were in that space and in that place because God just visited your supervisor. And they remembered your good works. And they're giving you an opportunity to glorify God. And, And it may result in your supervisor becoming a sheep of your shepherd. Or maybe you have an employee and they've never had a boss like you. They, they can't explain it. You're kind. You're gracious. You're considerate. You, you, are, 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 you, you do what needs to be done. You say what needs to be said, but you're kind and you're gracious and you're considerate. And you remember things about their lives. And all of a sudden, you may have an opportunity to do the very same thing in their life. And Paul is saying, your gospel that is transforming your life, is being lived out in your work in such a way that it is making an immense difference. And that's why you and I need to work for the gospel's sake as we labor, whether we're masters or servants.